0: Supervised. Welcome back to the Unsupervised Podcast, hosted by Stanley Cup of Chowder. My name is Adam Dunhart. I'm one of the contributors here at Cup of Chowder, and I'm joined today by Jason. Jason, how are you doing today?
1: Great. How are you doing, Adam?
0: I'm good, Jason. uh, Jason Silva, he's one of our writers as well, and also joining me is the veteran of the podcast Colin Bestwick Colin how are you tonight
2: hey I'm doing pretty good uh, glad to be back on listeners uh, I'm sure are super excited to have me back after my uh, my hiatus looking forward to talking a little bit of hockey
0: yeah yeah it's been a while since either of us have been on there really um so how was your uh, Thanksgiving guys did you guys have a chance to celebrate the holiday with family
1: yeah I, I had a good time kind of kept it small scale just just me and the wife this year because we're we're kind of far away from the rest of our family after we moved um uh, but we we had a really nice time yeah we did uh you know we did
2: sort of the traditional thanksgiving with uh, my sister hosted she's getting married later this year, so her fiance's family and my family and uh it's the first time we've all really gotten a chance to meet each other so oh, that's uh, exciting awesome. yeah it was, it was a good time um so no complaints there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I stayed kind of local too. My family's more or less around Eastern Mass, so it makes it easier for us. Um, so why don't we uh, why don't we chat about some some good health news so far in the last uh, couple of weeks since we've been on the podcast? The the injuries to John Moore and Kevin Miller have kind of faded away. They're they're back in the lineup, um, and I'm glad that they were not out for too long of time. How did you guys think they, they did coming back
2: in? Well, with Moore, obviously, the, the thing that jumps out is obviously the, the game-winning goal. Um, but the one the player that actually stood out to me more and the player I was more excited to get back personally was Kevin Miller, uh, just because I think what uh, they were missing was a little bit of the physicality, more of the defensive aspects um, with so many of their defensemen out. And Miller, um, you know, I thought he had a really – uh, really good game back in his second game back. Um, I didn't notice him as much against the Red Wings, but uh, against um, the last couple of games, he's looked pretty good, uh, especially in his defensive end. Um, you know, having a little bit of size strength
1: was definitely missed. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, his his first game back with Detroit, I think he kind of got eased back in a little bit as as much as they could with all the injuries. But um, starting against Pittsburgh, the uh, uh, Cassidy threw him to the dogs. I mean, he played 27 minutes in that game, his second game back from an injury, which is pretty remarkable. And then he, he just played 23, 42 against Montreal. So he's, he's getting leaned on and I I think he's been, he's been really stellar so far. Yeah. It's been, um,
0: I know both of them have been, uh, welcome recovery from kind of the patchwork that Providence has provided to Boston in this sense. And, and definitely John Moore scoring that, that game winner the other night, um, was an instant impact, and and to have that kind of backup to be able to to put Boston over the top of the power play towards the end of a game against arch rival, so to speak, Montreal. I think they are on different um, different levels in the standings around this time of year, but you know, there's always a good game to get up for, and glad to see that more could contribute right away. Um, I was a little surprised too, yeah, that that um, Kevin Miller was getting put in for almost 28 minutes against Pittsburgh. And what do you think that, that might've been too fast of a comeback? Cause I wouldn't want to jump right back into well above what would normally be expected of a player.
1: I think you got to do what you got to do. And with the, the injury situation being what it is, um, especially with, with, you know, so much quality defense out of the lineup with, with Zinni O'Chara um i I think maybe bruce cassidy's hands are a little tied on it and i think he probably looked at miller and said you look good and you might have maybe he asked him about it i don't know but he uh i, I think he performed up to it he definitely stepped up so i mean 27 is a bit much but you know like i said you got to do what you got to do
2: yeah it's like eric
1: carlson uh
2: it's suitor range there 27 minutes a game but you know i suppose he has fresh legs too and you know, they've leaned a lot on the younger kids, and they gave them a chance to uh, to sort of tinker with the, the minutes and get it lower for some of the younger guys. So I can see why, uh,
1: you know, they went a little heavy on, on Miller. Yeah, and, and with his injury being a – it was a hand injury, I believe. It's not like it's impossible to, you know, stay in shape uh, on that layoff, too. So a little bit different than if it was a knee or, or something like that.
2: Yeah, I know he's been skating for, for a while, so I'm sure his right. conditioning is at least close to – to where it normally is. So, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and uh, speaking
0: to, so we we had the good news now, the the bad news that I think has been most obvious to to Bruins fans since he went down, but that Patrice Bergeron has had to come out of the lineup with that rib injury, um, which is disappointing to say the least. And I know that there's a good glut of offensive power on the Bruins lineup now. It's a real sore spot for, uh, for defensive coverage and, and missing Bergeron is going to hopefully not have too deep of an impact, but the next couple of weeks are going to be kind of brutal as he recovers from that.
2: Yeah. I think we all learned a new word, the sternoclavicular injury along with a rib injury for Bergeron. We were joking earlier. We're just going to have five minute segment of us just quietly sobbing, uh, you know, cause both Chara and Bergeron are out, but, uh, you know, not not so much to my surprise, but the team has done pretty well in the games that Bergeron and Char both have missed, which is a you know a really positive sign. You know, they're not blowing teams out by any stretches, but they're managing to get points, whether it's you know making it to overtime or actually winning, like they did against uh, you know the Canadians. So it's good to see because obviously losing arguably your two most important players in Bergeron
1: and Char is a pretty tough break yeah i think uh with with what we've seen before especially the bergeron injury with with uh you know the top line carrying the load so heavily this almost forces the um the depth scoring to to pick it up um you know, not just through through necessity, but also because of the the different lineup changes and juggling of the lines and slotting people in with different players that they're not used to playing with. So it could could be a little bit of a blessing in disguise in that way. You know, it could could actually get some guys some more minutes that you know that maybe need a little more opportunity and and could see a boost in production. So that once Bergeron comes back, maybe you, you'll see a little bit more of that that spread out scoring that could actually benefit the team.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I thought that he um uh, he was it was noticeable that he wasn't on the ice, but the, the reshuffling that you mentioned of that uh, the Cassidy made of those four groupings was was fun to watch. It was uh we're reporting on Sunday night, so it was last night against Montreal that it was um the the Krejci line that was a new look, you know, Pasternak and him got to play a little bit more together. Debrust got shuffled in but um I thought Krejci, for for my eyes, did a great job of stepping up back up into that that top center, you know, responsibility. Whether or not he's compensating for Bergeron, I don't, you know, it's hard to it's hard to for any player. It's impossible for any player to to match his defensive skill. But he, uh, I thought he did a great job of driving what the team needed, which was some offensive flow last night. Did you guys um, see any problems with Krejci or, or there's uh, I had a question about how JFK was doing too, but I think we can we can get to him a little bit later too.
2: No, I, I think uh, I think Bruce Cassidy put it best um, after the game. He, I believe it was after the Pittsburgh game, not uh, Montreal, but he said that Krejci was the best player on the ice to his eyes. And uh, I think I think I generally agree with that. I know Krejci has always been sort of a lightning rod uh, with fans who either love him or hate him. I think he's a good player. I think he's a, he's a pretty good second line center, but you absolutely needed him to step up with Bergeron out. And uh, it does seem like he's taken his game, uh, you know, up a little bit. He's much more noticeable on the ice, using his speed a little bit more than I think we're used to. Uh, and that's what you want out of, you know, a highly paid veteran player like Krejci. I think he's done a really good job.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think if, if he's going to get minutes with, um, with Marchand and or Pasternak, I, th- I think you're going to see... Uh, you're, you're going to notice him more because he's such a creative player and he, he does such a great job of making offense for other guys So playing with guys like that who can finish and can, can get to the net. Um, certainly Jake Dabrowski is, is, is the same as well. Um, I think can, can take a creative guy like Craig and really, you know, raise him to the next level.
0: Yeah. Would you see any other kind of shuffling that would make sense for top two line? Cause I know that, well, the, the hope, going into some of these games was that JFK might be able to slide up the lineup. You know, if he had been playing some third line center roles that he might just be able to up the minutes and it doesn't look like he's been getting much of that opportunity. He only played, what was it? um, 13 minutes, but not even in the, in the game against Montreal last night. And I don't think that, I think like you said, Colin, uh, Bush Cassidy kind of does always put it best when he says something like, Um, he has enough to handle out there. I he was talking about JFK. Do you guys think he needs any more minutes? Do you think he's just going to kind of ride it out in the bottom half of the lineup?
1: Uh, I I don't think that he, he really has any business getting many more minutes to be honest with you. I mean, if just by the eye test, I think how much do you notice him when he's out there? He's he's not doing anything particularly impressive in that bottom four. Um, And then, I, I pulled a, a bunch of numbers just to just to get an idea if if the, if what I'm seeing really matches up with what he's doing or if he's just being subtly good and he's really not done anything. Honestly, he's he's obviously he's got the two goals, um, which were both very similar goals, um, just kind of in the right place for a rebound, which is good for him. But um, aside from that, he's at five on five. He is only in and he's played eight games now. He's only attempted eight shots. Not even on goal. He's only attempted eight shots, which is on a per sixty basis. It's the eighth lowest in the league for anybody that's played more than fifty minutes, um, and that's while play, while getting almost sixty-five percent of his zone starts in the offensive zone, which is the highest on the team. So it it hasn't been great for him.
2: Yeah, I think uh, it, that you know what what we're saying here is sort of is a, a really strong indication of where the team is at with their center depth, even before Bergeron obviously was injured, but. I totally agree. He, To use your phrase, I don't think he really has any business getting any more ice time than he currently has. Like you said, I, I don't think he's particularly performing all that well, and I don't want to be too harsh to the kid. Um, not, not what I'm here to do, but um, you look at sort of the underlying numbers, he's not driving possession. You know, my biggest criticisms with him since he's been drafted and the games that I've watched him in training camp and rookie camp uh, and now obviously playing some games up in the NHL is that he doesn't skate with that much speed, which is, you know, you don't have to necessarily. Certainly there are players who can be successful without, you know, the speed, but the other one is that he doesn't shoot the puck. And, you know, you just mentioned it, but that's something I've been sort of harping on, you know, as I watch him play where it's like, if you have the shot, take the shot. You're here for a reason, you know, and that's something that I have to imagine the coaching staff is uh, if they haven't already, they will be, will be mentioning to them because, you know, you know, you're, you're in the NHL, they need you to, you know, to help offensively, even if it's in sort of a secondary scoring role. And, you know, you're getting at most like a shot a game at this point just isn't going to cut it.
0: And so do you think that might be more of um how he had been being coached to play, to come up as a defensive forward, you know, not putting himself in a position to shoot or have, uh, because I haven't been able to watch every game that we've had so far in the last couple of weeks. But if he's getting chances and not taking a shot, then I totally agree with you that, you know, he's got to at least try and put the puck on that occasionally.
2: I think it's a little bit of both. And that's a good point. You know, sometimes when you see a lack of uh, you know, shot attempts, it's, that they had open shots and they weren't taking them. And sometimes it's that they just aren't getting into positions to take, you know, worthwhile shot. And I think it's a little bit of both with him. Like I said, I, I to my eye, he doesn't drive plays necessarily. I think he's been okay defensively, you know, but in terms of possession and actually driving, you know, scoring chances, I, I haven't seen much of it. So it's probably a little bit of both and that, you know, he's not getting to those spots. And when he does, he's still deferring to other players. So, It'll be interesting to see as as we go on. Obviously, with Bergeron out uh, at least at least mid term here.
0: Uh, do you? Um, so a couple of the other people that we've had to call up um, have been on mostly on the defensive side, which I guess is fortunate for the forward group, but definitely a. a a nail-biting couple of weeks. I'm surprised I have any nails left. Um, now that Chara, Chara, McAvoy, Carlo, I could, the list does go on, which is unfortunate, but um, returning more and Miller this last couple of games was helpful, but how do you think the, the rookie defenseman that we've had in with Jeremy Lazon and Connor Clifton, Jake Sporo for the couple of minutes that he got um how have they done in in your eyes as injury replacements
1: I think in, in particular I, I'm, I'm most interested in kind of like the, the dichotomy between Lausanne and Clifton the the two we've seen certainly much more of um Lausanne's played 11 games now and and he's been to me I, I think he's been actually really good he, hes he skates really smoothly he makes smart decisions um good breakout passes reminds me a little bit of, of a lot of the good things that Matt Grizzlick uh, does and kind of the way that we saw him break out last year, um, and he's actually he, he's been performing well, especially on and some of the underlying stuff. He is he is a fifty-two percent in the expected goals category, um, all while actually getting some some relatively tough minutes. Um, he only starts about forty-five percent of his shifts in the offensive zone. Um, where Clifton, he's played five games now, and his underlying numbers are outstanding. He's he's looked really really good. Um, He's a fun player to watch for sure, um, but he's definitely been a bit lucky. Um, he's gotten a ton of shifts in the offensive zone, sixty-seven percent. Um, he has a PDO of one hundred and seven, so he's he's been he's been the benefit of beneficiary of some good luck. But uh, you can't blame him for that either. So I think he's he's done with you know the limited opportunity in the sheltered minutes that he's gotten he's done what he can which is is good to see um I just think that it's it's a bit of a sign that that Bruce Cassidy might not entirely trust him so much yet but he definitely does trust Lausanne which is is a good thing uh it's a very good sign for his future
0: yeah both are both are accurate I just wanted to point out too that it's I I I don't Probably look nearly as deeply as you do into stats, but that, <laughs> the fact that Clifton is sitting right now on top of uh, Corsica Hockey's list for Corsi four um, <laughs> it just it's it's it cracks me up, and, and I think that Lazon has gotten the time that he earned. Um, but I I've been a little more nervous in that early Grizzlick feel for him, um, just because I know that that Matt had his own growing pains and kind of pushed right past him to start. A new season, but um, uh, Colin, how does um, how do you think Lazan compares to Grizzly? Do you think that he's in the same boat and and is is Clifton as outstanding as he seems, or do you think like Jason thinks he's going to crash back to earth a little bit?
2: Yeah, the the Clifton one is interesting to me. Uh, like Jason said, he has been a blast to watch. He's one. Of, it sounds funny to say, it, you know, a, a guy who probably wouldn't have seen NHL ice this year in the you know, if they were planning out the year without injuries, I don't think that he would have, you know, been in their first couple of calls, but obviously with them being decimated, it's been, you know, next man up, you know, over and over and over again. But I think he's looked pretty good, but I think you always have to look or take that with a pretty large grain of salt. And I think in the last couple of games, we're starting to see, you know, even just using uh, time on ice as a proxy for how coaches feel about a player. If you look at the time on ice and, to usage, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, he was sort of their, their sixth defense pinners at best. If you go back to the last, the last five games um, in descending order, he played about 19 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes in his last two games against Pittsburgh and Montreal. He's played roughly 10 minutes apiece. Um, so my guess is we won't see much more of him as, as we start to get more players back healthy. But while he was up here, I think he certainly raised his stock as much as one one can in five games or so. Um, But I agree. I think um, as much as I've loved watching him, I wouldn't expect to continue. If if he does get the chance to keep playing, I imagine it'll be in a much more um, low-minute sheltered role. With Lausanne, though, I agree. I think that he hasn't received a lot of fanfare, obviously with a lot of the media focus being on the – you know, the the bigger players and the injuries. And, you know, he's had some marquee matchups here lately. But I think he's quietly done a very, very good job uh, in the role that he's been asked to play. And, you know, the old adage is that uh, the less you notice a a young defenseman, the better. And I think that for the most part, he's matched, you know, that saying uh, that you don't necessarily notice him that much on the ice. And that's, you know, that's a good thing. He's not making egregious mistakes in his own end. You know, I think that... You know, he's done okay in terms of transitional play. You know, you know his underlying stats aren't going to jump out at anyone, but, you know, he's not hurting the team. And for a player who's really seeing his first professional action here, uh, you know, it's a pretty strong sign. I know, you know fans have been waiting for him to sort of make his mark for a couple of years now. And I think he's really taken that step forward this year. So I'm interested to see how he continues to play.
0: So, so that's interesting, too, because if he's – and I, I agree that he's kind of pushing for uh, maybe not a spot on the NHL roster because I know we have people backlogged on the injury list and, and, you know, these players will come back eventually. Um So probably won't get a full-time gig with the NHL or in the NHL with the Bruins this go-around. But does he – do you think uh, – I'm wondering if it's something that Don Sweeney can do to – make a move that's going to improve the team now, you know, given that the window for the core, I mean, the Chara's windows slammed shut a while ago, but the fact that he's playing with Marshawn Bergeron um, and now that Pasternak is driving back up the offensive power a little bit. Um, does Lozon give Sweeney that ability or do you think that he's going to try and stand pat on the prospects and, and bring them along a little more slowly?
2: Um, I I, I think that the organization is probably quite willing to move uh, a younger player or two this season. You mentioned the window, obviously, with some of the veteran players. I don't know how Sweeney and Cam feel, but if I'm in their shoes, I would be hesitant to move, you know, defensive prospects near the top. Um, I think they have enough young forwards that they can you know, for the right deal, I wouldn't hesitate to give them up. But I think right now, from what we've seen with Lozon, it's him and, and, you know, Vakaninen are the two top defensive prospects. Um, I know Zaboral is often mentioned in the, you know, with them as well. But in the limited action we saw, he didn't particularly look all that great to me. And I think he's probably a step behind them at this point from what we've seen. But I'd rather that the team moves a young forward or two before they're moving, you know, they're
1: what I think is a, a fairly uh, shallow defensive pool. It's also the the possibility that we, with, you know, a, a kid like Lausanne stepping up and playing well here, that that, you know, that proves with, with all the defensive depth that the Bruins have, you know, even with some injuries that they can survive losing a roster player, losing an NHL player. Um, and I remember in, in the off season, not long after they, they re-signed Matt Grislick to, to his extension, there was some speculation there that, you know, he, he could be an attractive trade ship. So depending on, on what, you know, a, a trade partner team is, is looking for in terms of, you know, are you trying to get better for the future with the uh, younger player like Lausanne or do you want somebody, you know, do you want to make a hockey trade to, you know, get a quality defenseman that, you know, is pretty proven right now. I think Grizzly could fit that mold too. Um, or, you know, I'll, I'll say it, uh, Tori Krug as well. Um, Cause that's, that's certainly an attractive trade piece. And if you have pieces to backfill their positions and you, you feel like you need the scoring enough, then there, there are some pieces there that you could take right off of your roster.
0: So who would you backfill for Krug then in that case? Because, uh, I mean, I can see Grizzlick moving the puck pretty well um, mm-hmm. and maybe he's on that trajectory to be a primary puck mover, but I don't know that I'd be willing to sacrifice Krug for, for a cup window. I kind of would say I I feel like we we would need him for a run like
1: that. Uh, I I tend to agree but um you know but I'm not Don Sweeney so and and, and you know who knows what you can get for Tory Krug as well you know you, you may say you you need him but if if you get one or two really top level pieces that can that can balance him out and you can you can get you know some of that puck moving from From Grizzlick, who I thought you know when Krug was hurt earlier in the year, I thought I thought Grizzlick looked really good kind of playing Krug's role, um, though certainly not to Krug's level, but he was competent anyway. Um, you know you, you could you could counterbalance the the sort of pros and cons of that you, you know you could make a case yeah, I mean Krug's obviously the big trade chip at least in terms
2: of from the back end or maybe overall, to be honest, I think he has probably the most value of someone they would reasonably trade. Um, he does have a modified no trade clause uh, 18 list. He can't be traded to with Krug. I do wonder if, and it's a big, if, if he gets traded, if it most likely will be next year, he does have the additional year after this, um, you know, and depending on what happens with Chara, they may think this year is your window more so than the next year. Um, but I do agree that, you know, it may be that they look at, at Vakanainen or Lausanne and they say, okay, we can't afford to move someone from the NHL roster, whether it's, you know, I know people don't like this because we just signed him to a long-term deal, but whether it's Moore or Grislyk, Um I think some people might say Miller too, but for me, I, I, I'm not a fan of moving Miller. I think as much as toughness and grit and all that stuff, we all sort of poke fun at, at times. I think that he's one of the few players on your team that still fills that role for you, and I think he's also a competent, you know, depth defenseman as well. So I would be pretty hesitant to move him. He can also play both sides, which uh, I think is shown to be pretty valuable for this team over the last couple seasons.
0: I don't think I could lose two Millers two years in a row, or lose <laughs> another Miller, because <laughs> that that you know the ability that Collins shown in Vegas has been, I think, would have maybe given them a little more confidence to try and get. Max Steel on Krug, who is, you know, on, still pretty young, but he's not going to be, um, for for uh, hopefully that he does have a long career. I'm not trying to say that I think he'll fade before average, but uh, as for a smaller player, I think he takes a lot of tough minutes, um, especially over the last, you know, couple of games, um, trying to make up for Char and McAvoy and Carlo's absence. Um. Uh, all right. Uh, were you going to say something? Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off.
2: Say, I'm, I'm still recovering from losing both Nashes, as everyone in our group uh, slack back <laughs> knows. So uh, <laughs> losing both Millers be a little detrimental, too. Yeah.
0: I. Uh, well, that's um, – so we mentioned uh, how the rookies have been picking up the slack, and we know that they've had some forwards to fill in. We talked a lot about JFK already, but I wanted to try and revisit um, – the rookie depth on forward you Now we were just talking about considering moving toward crew to improve our forward depth. And, uh, I don't know. Do you, do you think that there's been any really bright spots outside of, you know, the, the ones that we know of in Jake DeBrusque and Anders Bjork, at least for his part, being, uh, a, a full-time NHLer. um, and I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> But but has Cave picked up any of the slack uh, just in the last couple of games that he's played? Or is there anybody that you guys have noticed in Providence that
1: might be able to to backfill you know, uh, the yeah, score yeah. that we're missing? There's there's one guy, uh, Ryan Donato, <laughs> <Really>? uh, <laughs> which did not go well to start the year, but we know what he's capable of. And, and since he's been in Providence, he has produced a bit, um, which is great to see. Um, so, you know, we we were... Advocate. I advocated quite a bit for sending Donato down after his first few weeks went so, so poorly this year. And you know, it's, it's good to see that he is back to at least scoring some in Providence. So, you know, if you feel like you need a scoring boost, uh, you know, he's not going to stay in Providence forever. So he's he's the most obvious choice to actually give you some some real offense as, as compared to a guy like Cave, who, you know, he's, he had a good start in Providence, but I don't think anybody reasonably expects him to produce anything major at the NHL level.
2: Yeah, I think you look at Cave and, you know, like at his ceiling, you're looking at like an Achari-type player, you know, respectfully to him. So, yeah, I don't think anyone is really expecting him to come in and and provide much of a boost. I did want to quickly say on Bjork, because I think that's been a topic of conversation all around, you know, Bruins Twitter and, you know, fans where it it almost reminds me a little bit of the the Koklachev years here in Boston where one part of the fan base was arguing that, you know, he wasn't that great trade him, blah, blah, blah. But another is saying like, well, how is he supposed to perform when he's playing on the third and fourth line? And to me, you look at his numbers without any context. And I think it's fair to say he's struggling when you look at them. He's very, very sheltered in terms of usage, you know, low minutes and he's really not performing. He's not driving possession. He's not really scoring, but I, do think that there is some context in that, obviously, that you know he hasn't been playing with uh, the most talented linemates. But it's a bit of a catch-22 because if he is the player that a lot of people think that he is, you'd like to see him at least perform somewhat uh, farther down the lineup instead of just gifting him a spot with Bergeron and, or Krejci or whatever. And it's tough. I mean, that's part of the hard part of evaluating young players is how much is it you know, that their line mates are driving them and how much is their actual talent taking over. I will say with me, the eye test, he shows flashes here and there of of high-end ability. But I don't think that he's been as consistent as a lot of his fans think that he is. So I think that the next month or so is going to be really telling for, for Bjork in particular. But on Donato, I think that I assume we all agree that it's an inevitability that he sees some NHL time again this year. Do you guys agree with that? Yes.
0: Yeah, I would agree, too, at the very bare minimum, if it's like as a black ace in the playoffs. But for sure, I think he's going to make a reappearance in Boston. Um, I was just skimming over the Providence lineup and was curious because it's hard to know because I don't – I would fully admit I don't have any real opportunity to watch Providence games. But um, the fact that Donato is the one that's been lighting it up as of late Colby Cave definitely earned that call-up, um, but I'm wondering if we're going to see Fitzgerald or Hughes, um, and uh, I would say Kovar, but uh, if I'm mistaken, is he the one that we're waiting to have signed a real contract? I'm trying to remember who was uh, who was there on a
2: yeah, so that tryout, that's him. And I guess I guess we're all. I did this too. Um, Matt, our, our AHL correspondent, was saying it's Kovash. I guess.
1: Uh, Kovash, that's how say Jan it. Kovash.
2: Um but yeah he's sort of in limbo and I, I've fully been expecting him to to find some news out one way or the other I've seen reported that he has offers in Europe uh, and with the KHL as well he's performed you know in the HL but uh, I know you know Mark Diver who's great uh, has mentioned he doesn't have an NHL pace to his eye and I've seen that from a few others Uh I'm not sure. I, I think we're all fans and media alike are sort of waiting to see, you know, what happens with him. I know his agent, Alan Walsh, has been sort of pumping his tires quite a bit uh, on social media recently. But so far, there hasn't been any news with him. It's tough, though, because you look at you you mentioned him, but, you know, the, the Bruins are sort of hurting not only for forwards, but they're also hurting at the center position as well. So it's tough trying to find a players that can perform at center versus just, you know, calling up Donato, who obviously he's played as a wing up in the NHL.
0: So we discussed a little bit more about Bjork too. Do you think they might end up sending him down if that next couple of weeks, like you said, doesn't go in his favor uh, to try and make room for some of these other guys to get called up? Because I honestly don't know of a better way if They've they've done a, a decent job of leaning into their youth movement over the last couple of years, and I think we've seen some positives out of it. though um, they have been a little slower than from a fan's perspective might might need to be. Do you think Bjork gets dropped, or um, do you yeah. really think that's that uh, Cassidy and Sweeney are going to keep him up in the NHL?
2: No, I, I think it, uh, this is just my opinion, but uh, I think it's pretty reasonable to think he's at least. He's in that discussion at this point. And it may even be one where they one-for-one they one bring Donato up and and send him down. Um, Bjork is uh, waiver-exempt, so he can be sent down to Providence without uh, having to be exposed to waivers. Um, and it sort of feels like, you know, in the early part of the season that that's sort of what we're looking at, is they're going to keep trying out know, players, you know, until one, one or two of them really stick. Like I said, so far, to me, Bjork hasn't done enough to – but Nor has, you know, really many of their depth forwards, and that, that's a whole another topic. But uh, he seems to be struggling to me, in particular.
1: Yeah, and they don't forget they they early on last year they they had to try some of this stuff too because the injuries were were real bad to start the year last year, and and you know ultimately we saw Danton Heinen stick for instance, um, you know, so you might see some guys get get some chances that that you know you're you forgot about or you know that that played poorly in, in previous chances, um, you know, and if they're ready and they can find the right line combination, you know, with a guy like, like, you know, say Bjork or Donato or who knows, Cave Fitzgerald Hughes. Um, let's not forget about Peter Solaric, right, Colin? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I was just
1: going to bring him up. Yeah. There's this, there's, there's, there are options for guys that, that, you know, should be able to show you something at some point. It's just, is, is it now? Is it later? And, and, you know, who, who is the one that sticks? If anybody,
0: yeah, I have a I have trouble picturing somebody in that group would stick in their place. Um and you know, Heinen's kind of a benefit of the contract that he's on now where I don't think he can be sent down without passing waivers, but he um so he kinda has to get played and and I like seeing him play. I think he's still hey, yeah, Heinen's, Heinen's not in danger, I don't think. No, no, no. And and I think he will develop as a player, uh, in spite of, instead of just being like somebody that's stuck with the NHL roster and is at risk maybe of being a trade ship is a different story. But he, um, I I hope that he can step it up and fill in some of those gaps that now that especially Bergeron's going out and, and some other players haven't been firing. It was nice to see David Backus at least make a, a spirited, come back <laughs> if not a sustained one but the, the his game um against Montreal and and his play over really the last couple of games has been yeah. inspiring to say the least and i i thought he played really well he was a super valuable part of the last game
2: i was uh i actually i i was out for a close friend's 30th birthday surprise party last night and uh they had the game on so i was watching sort of you know half-heartedly, I guess, but uh, I managed to catch David Backus scoring and, you know, did the fist pump. I was just so happy to see him, uh, you know, finally get his first goal. And uh, I think most of us would say that, you know, you know, Backus is a great guy. Um, Obviously, he's well-liked, you know, leader, all of those things. Um, You know, so it's it's been sort of tough contract aside to watch him struggle uh, pretty much this entire season. So just, you know, I guess... uh, I don't know if it's personal level, but I'm happy to see him finally get on scoreboard there and and get the monkey off his back, so to speak.
0: Yeah, that was a great uh, four-check chip. I mean, it was kind of, obviously, uh, there's a little bit of luck involved in that um, poke check, but he got stick on puck and made the opportunity for himself.
1: Yeah, the uh, the more help you get from guys that haven't performed so far, the better right now with all the injuries. So to see somebody like Bacchus who, you know, It wasn't that long ago he was a a productive NHL player, you know, to see him maybe get that moment that breaks him out of it. You know, if if he's going to have to step up and take more minutes, that's definitely, definitely a good thing to see.
2: Yeah, it almost, and this is uh, very unscientific uh, for me, and I prefer to use, you know, statistical analysis, but it almost feels like the entire bottom six is sort of in a funk. And it's going to take players individually sort of getting hot before they all start sort of clicking again. Um, you know, we obviously have short-term memory when it comes to watching teams. There's a bit of recency bias. But it, it really does seem like almost every one of them is, is struggling on a personal level. And you have to think that that can't last too much longer. And I'm, I'm punching a tree right now as I say that. But, um, you, know, you know, if it takes back, it's getting a little bit of a streak going. And maybe you see his line mates start to perform a little bit more. And hopefully they can sort of find their, uh, their even watermark there sooner or later.
0: Yeah. We have to consider too that um, you, you say it on a personal level, like players have to make these kinds of adjustments and, and back has had to make a major health adjustment at the end of last season. So, um, I think having a summer under his belt, I, I would be surprised at being approximately his age. So like, I couldn't imagine trying to change, uh, a playing style that far along in your career and, um, And I think he's done a good job of making adjustments. Um, And like you said, it's great to see that he can get himself on the scoreboard. um, And hopefully that gives him a bit of a confidence boost going forward. Um, All right. So I I think we have some time here to turn to the calendar. So uh, I'm just going to give a quick list off of the games that we're going to see um, between now and when hopefully will be our next edition of this podcast. Um but we got they're at Toronto uh Monday night on the twenty sixth. They're gonna see the Islanders at home, the Red Wings at home, and then away games against the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning before coming back for a game against Toronto.
1: Um
0: that last one, the Saturday, December eighth Toronto game is a I think is my feature but I'm trying not to look too far ahead um, only I say that because I'm going to be at the game I won't have to actually um, pay too close of attention but I definitely will probably be standing the whole time with the uh, the garden gods um, do you guys see any major problems with this it looks like they have a generally light schedule with the exception of that game against Tampa Bay um, but, but how do you guys see them faring over the next couple of weeks
1: I think it's going to be fun to see. It's going to be interesting to see with the the injuries to their two best defensive players, Chara and Bergeron, you know, having two games against Toronto in there and one against Tampa should be pretty, pretty dicey with the, the, the offense that those teams can put up. Um, so I'll, I'll be fascinated to see if, if the um, you know, Kevin Millers of the world can, can, uh, can hold back the forces that those two teams Um, bring to the table because they can they can score like crazy Um, and the other factor in there of course it's amazing we've gone what like 40 something minutes without mentioning the goaltending so far um, which has been really good good. lately yeah it's amazing Um, you know Rask since he came back from his leave of absence has looked better Halak has continued to be good so you know against really talented offensive teams like Toronto and Tampa that's what I'm going to be looking for can they hold the fort
2: yeah, both of them have, obviously, have uh, have done more, probably, than can reasonably be expected. Um, you know, you mentioned, obviously, playing against powerhouse teams is going to be a challenge. Although we don't officially know, it does sound like um, at least some combination of Carlo, McAvoy, and and if they don't send him down, um, will likely be available in the next couple of games. Again, rough timeline, but... Um, They've all begun skating again. I know McAvoy and, and Vakanainen were uh, skating and practicing in the non-contact jerseys uh, fairly recently. Um, so knock on wood, hopefully everyone's health um, is where it needs to be. And, and you know, they probably won't be back in time for uh, Monday night's game against the Leafs, but perhaps in the games following that, that would be a huge boost to get Carlo or McAvoy back, uh, in particular against some of the more offensively uh, Talented teams like uh, Tampa Bay and Toronto. Um, you know, looking ahead, though, I think you know I've mentioned this on Twitter. The name of the game to me is just get points, whether it's just making it to play for the overtime point, or you know if you have a chance to win, obviously. But um, you know, right now, you sort of just have to tread water enough until you get Bergeron back, in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how they roll with the, the goaltending tandem. Both of them have played really strong recently, so it's they've legitimately essentially had two starters at this point, uh, which is a luxury that a lot of teams obviously don't have. Um, One of the games that really jumps out to me though, outside of obviously Tampa Bay or Toronto is uh, the games against Detroit and Florida Uh, going into this year. We all, I think probably assumed Detroit was going to be a bottom feeding team. Um, I actually had higher hopes for Florida than they've, they've done so far. They're sitting dead last uh, right now in the, the Eastern conference or the Atlantic division, excuse me. Um, but this happened last year too, where the Panthers came on real strong at the end of the year and, and missed by a point or two uh, for the playoffs, if I remember correctly. So to me, it's it'll be uh, it'll be kind of quietly huge if the Bruins can uh, can win both of those games and and widen the gap between two of their competitors in the Atlantic. Um, and just real quick, <laughs> blows my mind. But uh, as we're recording this, the the Buffalo Sabers of all teams are sitting. Uh, First in the Atlantic Division with 34 points, and they have been absolutely red hot. Nine in a uh, row—that's crazy. Yeah, I know a nine-nine game win streak, and uh, I, we've all been hockey fans long enough to to have seen the Sabers play play well for in short streaks, and then revert to being, you know, the Buffalo Sabers. But uh, definitely, definitely deserves a you know a quick mention of how well they've been playing. So, looking forward to you know the Bruins-Sabers game.
0: Yeah, uh, that's going to be. That's the dark horse, I guess, game for this next couple of weeks. Cause I didn't, that didn't occur to me until right before we sat down to, to chat today. So, um, I think they'll probably crash back to earth a little bit more. I right? say crash; they might drift back to earth because it looks like they're being. Uh, the Buffalo is able to sustain how they've been doing at least for the first quarter of the season, um, but. Them being ahead of us in the Atlantic, you know, I, I think this is a, a huge, like you said, a huge couple of weeks, especially because I think they only face Toronto one more time after that uh, December 8th game, uh, at least in the regular season. And to be able to put strong outings against them and, you know, put a little bit of shake in their skates before a potential playoff series would be would be huge. You know, there's a lot of time between. Now and then, and there's definitely plenty of hockey being played, but um, I think those are definitely feature matchups. I'm I and I used to be a, De, a Detroit Red Wings fan, so I um I always like it when they face off against each other. But I don't know that Detroit's going to be able to stand up against Boston, at least not this trip through.
2: Yeah, Detroit. Uh, you know, it's dumb to just circle a game and say, "Oh, you know." Team X will win, but uh, you know Detroit doesn't necessarily scare me if I'm a, a Bruins fan game to game or, or season wide either on Buffalo, I mean they are they're absolutely due for a correction, but to your point we don't know how much but I mean come on, Jeff Skinner has 18 go- 18 goals in 24 games. Uh, Jeff Skinner's a, a you know a fine player. I know a lot of Bruins fans uh, wish uh, you know the Bruins were in on him, uh, but he's not going to score 60 plus goals this year. And they sort of seem like a, a pretty classic one-line team where the, their top line with Eichel and Skinner—they're uh, just playing well above uh, you know their their normal level. So I would not be surprised if we see a pretty drastic uh, course correction with Buffalo sooner rather than later, which I look forward to being spectacularly wrong when they make the playoffs this year.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too, to see – I mean, Eichel's obviously been driving the top line for a few years now, and for him to really have somebody that he's clicking with is uh, is an interesting watch. Um, makes me nervous, but not nervous, especially when Bergeron is healthy because that one-for-one, one, you know, top line, top center matchup is – I think the Bruins have that in hand. Um, the real question, too, for me is when um, – when Toronto gets Austin Matthews back, and when you know to John Tavares has been really driving in his absence, um, how those matchups are going to go over the next couple of weeks? Definitively not having Patrice for either matchup, I would think, um, but then also having to face off against the rest of Toronto's depth that hasn't really been affected by injury like Boston has.
2: Yeah, I think uh, a good um comparison to that sort of the the, the two are in Toronto's case three-headed monster with uh, you know once Matthews is healthy with Tavares and Kadri as well. But if you if you look back at the the Pittsburgh game a couple of days ago, you know, at the risk of being a little overly harsh perhaps, but I think it was a really tall order to match up, you know, Krejci's line and and JFK to some extent,
1: uh, you know, on
2: Malkin and 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 Crosby too. And I think that for lack of a better term, they got real lucky on a lot of occasions there where, uh, you know, the goaltender really bailed them out. I think, you know, just off the top of my head, I can remember probably six or seven breakaways that that Pittsburgh got. And, you know, you'll take it when your goaltender stones them on a breakaway, but you look at games against, you know, offensive juggernauts like, um, you know, Tampa Bay and Toronto. And I think that's where we're going to see, the Bruins forward depth really get tested uh, and see if it's something that you know they can afford to keep rolling with this whole Burge runs out or if they're gonna have to make a move. Which we're obviously getting to the point in the season where trade rumors are starting to heat up. But we have the Charlie Coyle discussion, you know, that we're starting to see. But uh, I think with the team itself, is probably looking at these next few games
1: as sort of a measuring stick themselves. Who is I you, are, are you? I think just... that's all right. The, I, I think the, the other part is, is, you know, hopefully, you know, some of these defensive pieces will start coming back because that combination of having no Bergeron and, you know, no uh, Chara, no Carlo, no McAvoy. um, That is a lot of, of defensive talent that's out of your lineup. And when you're dealing with teams that have multiple lines that can, that can throw a ton of offense at you, that can be a big problem. And then, you know, that, that means more 27 minute nights for guys like Kevin Miller and, uh, you know, you can you can only do that for so long.
0: Yeah, that, let's really hope that Carlo comes back because we know that Chara and um, Chara's going to be out at least the next couple of weeks while the uh, knee injury heals. Um, and hopefully McAvoy, like you said, he's skating um, along with Vakanainen, though. I think they would probably send him down once he's healthy. Um, they're going to be huge readditions to the lineup to help against some of these offensive flow teams. Um, It looks like we're getting ready to wrap up. Uh, Colin, you wanted to give a shout-out to a poll that you held. Um, I wanted to give you a chance to do that.
2: Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, we were thinking of topics. I had uh, asked on Twitter, um, you know, you always see the statistical, uh, you know, like uh, pictures and stuff for goalie shutouts. And just, I ran a poll asking if people thought that um, goalie shutouts are wildly overrated as a stat or an evaluator of goaltender talent or performance. And uh, I feel pretty strongly about it, to no one's surprise. But I'm curious how you, how you both feel about uh, using them to evaluate a goaltender.
1: I think if you're using it to to evaluate a goalie in terms of like if you say if you're a gm determining how much you want to offer on a contract or in a trade for a goalie i think you're nuts but i also (laughs) think that shutouts are an easy fun stat to go with so i i wouldn't tell you know tv broadcasts to leave them out of their little infographics and that sort of thing i just think if you're serious about hockey stats of course no no absolutely no well it does drive down goals against average though I
2: mean, my favorite stat—the healthiest stat in all of (laughs) hockey stats. Um,
0: uh, Yeah, it's interesting to ask because I love seeing goalies get shut out. It's a huge confidence boost, especially if you—you know—it's a little less of the case now when Halak and Rask look like they're really just going to be day-to-day picked for who's looking better in the morning skate as to who starts a game. You know. Um, Bruce has been a little bit more deliberate of late. But now that, as, as you mentioned earlier, um, that Tuca's rounding back into form, I think they'll split them. But, but if you were to have a goalie that was really riding stretches of games or the team was riding them for stretches of games and playing, you know, 60, 65 games in the season, that you would want to see a goalie get a shutout because then they roll into the next game to say, okay, I haven't allowed a goal. and they can keep up that mentality. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, Brian Boucher should be the leading contract for NHL goalies, especially not anymore, not he's retired, but, um, to have a stretch of a shutout is I think impactful on a goalies play, maybe not, and definitely not on the longer term
2: considerations for a contract though. Yeah. So my take on it is I, I do think that they're cool, you know, you know, from a fan perspective, but I don't think that they're useful. And I, and I think that that's sort of distinction I draw with a lot of, uh, you know, goaltending statistics like wins and stuff like that. Um, as a fan, I love to see, you know, the lists, uh, you know, career shutouts. And it's great to see your team post, uh, you know, get a shutout for your goaltender. But, you know, when people start comparing this goalie versus this goalie using like career shutout numbers, it's like eh, 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 it doesn't doesn't really mean that much. Like goals against average, it it lacks, you know, pretty much all context. And So I I always just chuckle when I see the infographics where it's, you know, safe percentage goals against average and shutouts like the holy trinity of uh, (laughs) of old school goaltending evaluation. (laughs) So it's just one of those things I was sitting at the car dealership, uh, you know, for hours and hours. And I'm like, all right, I. I got to ask, see what people think about this. And uh, it seems like uh, most agree that they're somewhere between a little and, and absolutely overrated. Um, only 31% disagreed uh, in general that they're overrated. Like I said, it's cool. You know, You, you as a goaltender, absolutely. I think there's some ma- mental aspect to it, you know, being able to stone the other team. But it, it's sort of like, you know, hat tricks to me for skaters, where it's like hat tricks are cool, but but who picked three goals for a hat trick? Like, why? <laughs> why is it three that's important and not four or two? And, and so it's just it was just something
1: interesting to me. And I was just curious what you guys thought. Yeah, I, I think what, one other point, would you know, comparing it to hat tricks and, and other, you know, pseudo meaningless statistics and things like that. I think you can almost look at shutouts as like the, the, the microcosmic goalie version of a Stanley Cup. You know, like when you win the Stanley Cup, does that mean you were the best team that year? And a lot of the time it doesn't. But, you know, you got, maybe you got hot at the right time and, you know, all the other factors that go into the the magic of winning a Stanley cup can also kind of, you know, you can point at at the magic of the shutout that has that sort of, you know, has that sort of mystique to it. But, you know, maybe there is some, some offhanded value there.
0: Yeah. I I think it's uh, mystique might have to wait until you get a real shutout streak rolling, but, um, but for sure, it's, uh, it's not going to be super indicative of, a, of at least longer-term uh, ability. Uh, all right. Uh, anything you guys want to touch on before we pack it up for the day? Any Black Friday shopping you didn't get done yet?
1: Nope. Yeah, I, uh... All of it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that you haven't gotten done yet?
1: Correct. <laughs> Absolutely not.
2: <laughs> yeah, usually I was thinking about buying a, a new, uh, a new TV for black Friday, just with a better refresh rate for, uh, actually for hockey specifically. Um, you know, get a bit of a sharper uh, picture, but as you guys know, I just bought a new car, so won't be spending any money <laughs> outside of what I've already spent on that. So, uh, no, no black Friday shopping for us, but, um, I did want to say, I hope uh, all of our listeners had, uh, you know, good Thanksgiving. Um, Good holiday season two obviously we will uh, most likely be back before Christmas but uh if I'm not on the episode just wishing all the listeners uh, you know happy holidays here here
0: yeah and, uh, happy thanksgiving from your chowder staff if not belated um, Colin we'll try and get them to bring back that tracer cup since it doesn't sound like you're getting that uh, better TV so you can follow the fox tail <laughs> around the ice uh, you're
2: show and- you're showing your age
0: yeah this <laughs> i i don't want to admit remembering it but i do uh and yeah so chatterheads don't forget to follow us at cup of chowda on twitter you can also follow the podcast specifically at sb unsupervised Um, myself at creative anomaly on twitter at c for colin and at jc silva 67 for jason so uh, keep in touch with us. We'll see you out there on the Twitter sphere and for our game coverage. And you'll hear from a few more of us in a couple of weeks. Have a good night, everybody.